Well, if you've never listened to the show before, you picked a good one. Because I'm on a, I, I'm on a bit of a rant right now. You're listening to the Human Resource. My name is Pandy Pridemore, and I'm a consultant here in the Cincinnati market. You're uh, watching this from ICRC TV station. And okay, guys, if you've been watching these shows over the last few years, you know that I tend to get a little emotional about certain topics. And uh, this one we have to hit between the eyes. So I brought in my partner, my my mentor, Carl Ulrich from Sibley, Shillito and Dyer. And we're going to talk about a really sensitive topic of foreign workers. Now, okay, okay, if you've been listening to the podcast or watching the podcast, you know we've already talked about this. We've already talked about foreign workers, but oh no, I'm going even deeper. I'm going way deep because here in the past month, uh, several situations have occurred and I think that we really need to talk about this because this is not going away. And that's what do we do when we suspect And even worse, what do we do when we know we have an illegal worker on the floor? Now, what I mean by illegal, I mean, let's hope that when you're taking the I-9, the employment eligibility form and documents, and you're viewing those, right? If, If, unless it's a remote worker, we still have to do the tactile. And if you're making copies traditionally, you're going to make copies of them. But what if you look at those, and you should be looking at them carefully, but what if you look at one of them, and all of a sudden you realize the birth date says 1978, and the gentleman sitting in front of you looks like he could be your grandson? What do we do? And, and I'm going to go even further. Are you ready to face these kind of situations? Because... If you haven't yet, there's a really good chance that you may, if you continue in your career as a human resource representative, or if you are going to continue acting as the HR rep for a company. So Carl's here, and he's going to walk us through, because I'm going to give him a couple scenarios here, and he's going to walk us through how employers are supposed to to go around this. And Carl, let's start with the government agencies that oversee this. Sure. Well, a number of different government agencies oversee the uh, foreign worker um, environment, if you will. Uh, And uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, certainly one of the most important ones. Uh, They're the ones who are out there making sure that uh, folks that are in the United States have legal basis for being here who are working in the United States have an authorization, legal authorization to do so. Um, so ICE, as we call it, is, is an important enforcement arm, enforcement arm. But on the front end of obtaining status from a for, for a foreign worker, you've got the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, otherwise known as the USCIS. This is the, uh, it's formerly called the INS, but it changed uh, over a decade ago to the USCIS. That's the organization that reviews the documentation, reviews the petition, the requests, the supporting information, then makes a determination about whether status should be granted or not. There are other organizations that are typically involved as well, including the Department of Labor, which will sometimes determine for work positions whether 
there are U.S. workers available to fill that role, and that's got to be priority. If there are no U.S. workers first available, then the position might be available to a foreign worker. The Department of Labor often oversees that process and verifies that the wages being paid to the foreign worker coming in the United States are of a, uh, of a competitive and prevailing prevailing wage level so that uh, you're not undercutting the market by bringing in um, um, uh, labor from, from outside the U.S. So those are the agencies that have different roles to play in this process. But uh, fundamentally, uh, it is up to the employer to verify the identity and the work authorization of every employee they hire. So that process is known, as Pandy mentioned, the I-9 process is a form that you fill out when you hire somebody that has to be maintained in a certain way. And there are certain, documenta- doc- there are certain documents that you have to look at in person, physically, uh, in order to comply with their I-9 requirements. So that's kind of a pretty broad overview, I guess. No, but that's, that's the start. Mm-hmm. That's the why. You know, everybody looks at me and says, well, why is this so important? Well... According to an article out of the National Law Review back in April, there are over 47 million people living in the United States that are immigrants. That actually represents 14.1% of our population. We have not seen that type of number or percentage since 1890, where it was 14.8%. And that number is growing. And what's scary to our employers who desperately need workers desperately need people to be, you know, actually producing for them, is that a number of them are coming into the country without proper documentation. And, you know, what's crazy, Carl, is as I was doing some research for an organization who had the gentleman with the um, bad driver's license, um, there are tons of websites where people can go and get a fake ID, whether it's a permanent resident card, whether it's a EAD, there's all sorts of fake identification cards for as little as $125. Mm-hmm. How is an employer supposed to know that that's a fake ID? Because isn't it ultimately the, the employer that will be held responsible if those one of those organizations find out that they're employing somebody illegal? Well, that's a great question. And and it, it is oftentimes very difficult to determine those supporting documentations are valid. The law requires employers to exercise a reasonable degree of scrutiny, that is to to determine based on the documentation on its face if it appears valid. In the situation you posed earlier where, you know, clearly someone who is 21 has a birth date on a document that would make them 45 years old, that there's a disconnect there, that's an obvious problem. And that would give a reasonable person a uh, a give them a bring up a question as to whether that document is is valid. And so, you're not required as an employer to be a document expert. You are required to exercise reasonable diligence diligence that an ordinary person or an ordinarily reasonable person would would exercise, and to look at documents critically. Uh, and when there are obvious abnormalities, to flag that and and you have certain obligations at that point going forward, but you don't necessarily have to be a uh, an expert on all the documentation. Uh, you just have to be reasonable. Yeah, and reasonable is again another government phrase. Right. I, I I had a we mentioned this. I'm going to refresh our viewer and listeners' memories. In our last broad, uh, podcast, 
over on Four Women Workers, we talked about a staffing agency that had two individuals walk in, one five weeks prior to the other, but they ended up with the same social security number on different cards, obviously different names, different cards. They ran them through E-Verify and got approval for both. Mm-hmm. So even our, our what we would consider our safety net mm-hmm. isn't necessarily reliable. Right. Well, in that situation, you know, you've done the things you're supposed to do, but you have some information which would suggest that for whatever reason, one or both of those sets of documents uh, are not valid. Um, you can't just sit on, sit back and and hope the problem goes away. You do have to you do have to take action. And and what you're supposed to do in that situation is you're supposed to go back to the employee, and ask them to supply accurate documentation. Now, uh, there may be other issues with that false documentation that uh, come up. But your obligation as an employer is to go back to the employee and say, "This doesn't appear to be valid. Provide me with another one of the." supporting documents on the I-9 list. So there's a list of documents you can supply. And and you have a certain number of days to do that. And if you don't provide me with that document, I can't hire you. Or if you've already hired you, hired that person, you have to let them go because they, they haven't they haven't provided you with accurate proof of, of uh, work authorization. So that's that's the process you're required to go through in that situation. But, uh, but again, the, the phenomenon of false documentation is a real one. It is occurring more frequently because of the, la- the need for workers now and because there are all these sort of under-the-table cottage industries out there trying to you know, feed that, that uh, need for, for documents and that need for work. So you, as an employer, you do have to be careful and uh, and if you do hire somebody knowing that they're illegal and you fail to take appro- make appropriate response, either let that person go or you continue to to employ them over a period of time knowing that they're illegal, uh, you can r- run into some serious consequences, both from a civil fine standpoint, also criminal f- standpoint in certain cases. Well, elaborate on that because I there are employers out there yeah. that say, look. It, it's, I'm not expected to be an expert, which we get that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I turn a blind eye and pretend I didn't happen to notice, mm-hmm. what are the consequences? How well, big can this get? It's, it's different if you're negligent on one hand versus you have information in that you know is false or you know that that person is illegal and for whatever reason you decide not to do the right thing. You continue to employ them. Those are different situations, right? So the negligence scenario may result in a, a, a fine or something less uh, significant in terms of penalty. But if you are continue, particularly if it's a pattern and practice of doing this, uh, hiring and continuing to employ individuals you know who are illegal or do not have proper work authorization, that can be a serious thing. And uh, particularly in a pattern practice scenario, if you've done it over a course of time and with multiple employees, you can you, it can result in some criminal sanctions against against the employer as well. Not to mention, uh, ICE comes in and, and clears out your workforce and, and uh, begins to put uh, the, the illegal workers on a deportation track. So you can you know there are a lot of bad things that can happen if if you're ignoring the obvious signs. Uh, again. Depends a little bit on your level of culpability as an employer. Uh, that will dictate the, the severity of the of the sanction. 
Well, and and we have to just remind everybody, you've got to be careful discriminating, acting in a discriminative manner. If you start personalizing this and going, oh, I don't trust him. He, I'm going to go back and double check his documents, but right. not double check her documents, or we're only going to do this group because they look a little different. I mean, am I not? Yeah. It, it, you, you know, you got to do the 9-9 process for everybody, right? It's not just people who look like they might be from outside the United States. It's everybody has to supply that documentation. They have to do it within a certain period of time. The documentation has to be maintained. The I-9 forms have to be filled out. All the good stuff has to happen for everybody. And if an individual who may be foreign is authorized to work in the United States, they can't be discriminated against in a position simply because they're a foreign worker. As long as they're legal, as long as they have authorization, as long as they've checked all the boxes and they're more qualified than the U.S. person, they should be hired for that. You can't discriminate against them solely because of their, their citizenship. Having said all that, you just have to go through that process of verification for everybody in the same way, and you should have a procedure, a process in place that you follow in every hiring situation, which is where Pandy comes in, because uh, you do that an awful lot. I know. I do it a lot, lot, and it's kind of scary because I, I found two the other day for a client, and I even called Indiana and I even called Kentucky and said, hey. These don't look right. We ran the numbers, we ran the socials, and they non-existent. Right. Non-existent. Right. So they asked the individuals what their birthdays were. They asked them what their social security numbers were, and neither of them <laughs> could respond to either. So, we, And that's a pretty good indication. It's a real good indication, them. and this is it's just getting more and more prevalent. So let me ask you this. What happens if a tip is given to an employer, hey, I know for a fact that those people aren't aren't legal, and yet you're employing them. What are the guidelines for an employer to go back and re-verify? Well, in many cases, a tip um, has to be evaluated critically. If you're an employer, uh, you have to think about where the tip is coming from. Who's mm -hmm. the source? Mm -hmm. Are there other reasons why the tip might be uh, valid? Uh, you have to almost be a, an investigator in order to, to assess this, but um, you know, a lot of times these these things can occur if there's a personality conflict between there you go you know the the tip tipper and the tippy. There might be an issue going on in the workplace that you're not aware of. All kinds of reasons why that tip might not be valid. Then there might be reasons why it would be. But you have to make a judgment call in many cases whether or not it's worth following up on. Uh, there's no one answer to that question, I think. Uh, and and frequently in those situations, uh, it might be worth bringing in somebody like Pandy or bringing in legal counsel or somebody to help help you kind of walk through the evaluation of those things to determine whether follow-up might be required. I would normally, in most cases, um, want the employer to resolve doubts in favor of follow-up. It may not result in any action being taken, uh, but... Uh, better be safe than sorry, and and uh, uh, particularly if there may be some indications that the tip is may have some merit to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the page two was not signed on an individual, and a company went back to the individual and said, "Hey, I need to see your social and your I think it was a driver's license or identification card. I forget it, as item B. Mm -hmm. I need to see list B and list C again." Mm -hmm. And when the gentleman brought it forward. List C's social security card was an entirely different number right. than the copy that had been made originally 
what, when he started a, a year or so ago. So now they have two different cards, two different numbers on the exact same person. Yeah. This stuff is so real. Mm-hmm. And it, your insight is so important, but I think the bigger message you're trying to send here, if I can, is look, we need to make sure as companies that we're training the people who are taking the I-9s right. and give them the empo- the empowerment to, with an open mind, challenge the reasonable. Challenge it. Partner. If you think, if you're taking the I-9 and you think that maybe there's a there's something a little fishy, go partner with somebody and make sure that it's right. not a personal decision. And that includes your supervisors. Because again, we don't want to take foreign workers into the workplace and then start treating them differently. It's great advice. Carl, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love it when we're together. It's great. My name is Pandy Pridemore, and you've been listening to The Human Resource. Let us know what interests you and come back again. <laughs>